Hello and welcome back to Up The Villa podcast. I've got a special guest for you today, Kieran Maguire, football finance expert from The Price of Football. How are you doing, Kieran? Uh, I'm as good as can be uh, following a nil-nil draw at home on a Monday night, which, uh, which is what <laughs> I watched last night at the Amex. Yeah, to be fair, Wolves actually played quite well, I thought. Um, yeah. so, they're a decent yeah, side. We... Decent side yeah. and they're very technical. Yeah, very, very good. So we're going to kick it off then. I want to find out from you all about Aston Villa financially, off the pitch. On the pitch, it's going very, very well. But something that's sort of giving football fans a big fear is what's happened to Everton, Nottingham Forest, etc. And it's regarding FFP. So my first question for you is probably one that you get asked all the time. So what are your thoughts about FFP? Is it just a mechanism to protect the elite or is it uh, for the greater good of the game? It's it's a bit of both, but it's mainly to do with uh, trying to ensure that we don't have another Chelsea or Manchester City who get new owners, can spend huge sums of money and become a competitive threat for those clubs who were used to winning the Premier League, but more importantly, qualifying for the Champions League every season. So in my view, the rules are flawed. They have, they, they've not reduced losses. Uh, if you take a look at the Championship, the average losses in the Championship, 470 grand a week. Take a look at the Premier League, 18 clubs out of 20 are losing money. So it isn't creating profitability. And it's it's not creating sustainability either. You, you, you look what happened to Chelsea when Abramovich got sanctioned by the UK government. Ch Chelsea weren't that far from going out of business. Everton have had a lot of trouble. They had a new owner come in, put in a lot of money, and then his circumstances change. At Derby, the owner put in £200 million, and his kids are saying, Dad, you're that's our inheritance that's going down mm -hmm. the toilet on, on average players. Um, so it's it, it's not preserving the football when it's certainly not there to prevent another Berry or Macclesfield from taking place. Yes, yeah, so it leads me on to my next point. So Villa and Newcastle appear to have wealthy owners who want to invest. Uh, why is this loss treated the same way as a club living beyond its means without the financial cushion of wealthy owners such as like Leeds in the 90s? Um because the Premier League clubs have voted for a set of rules that make it very difficult for new owners to come in. If, if you take a look at Aston Villa, for example, their, their most recent wage bill, £137 million, well, that's £200 million less than Manchester United. It's again to £250 million less than Manchester City. It's £200 million less than Chelsea and Liverpool. Um, and, and they can't really spend much more. So that means that they've, they've either got to be a lot smarter in terms of their recruitment and, you know, and fair play to Villa. You know, they have, uh, you know, as a Brighton fan, that 6-1 defeat uh, at Villa Park didn't flatter us at all. You know, we, we were we were absolutely tated. Um, so, you know, Villa, Villa have got where they are through playing good football, but it, it does make it more difficult because you then those bigger clubs able to offer the bigger wages. The the average wage at Villa 
uh, you know, compared to some of these other clubs is, yeah, it, 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 it's a good night out. I'm not denying that, <laughs> but it's probably around about 70, 75 grand a week. And you've got clubs off, offering, you know, far more than that. Yeah, so Villa seem to be taught, especially in this window, we've we seem to have gone down a little bit of a different path. We are looking at, and it's to do with Monchi coming in with his obvious scouting network and, and how he sort of sees his vision of Aston Villa. So, you know, in January already, we look like we're going to be signing a lot of youngsters. So um, next question for you then is, Villa seem to be targeting expensive young players with the suggestion being that this will go through as youth expenditure, thus will not count towards FFP. What are your thoughts on this and what is the cutoff for a youth player. Um, so could sort of like Bellingham be classed as a youth player when he went for all that money to Real Madrid? If the player is in the academy, then academy costs are exempt. So if, if you if you recruit another player, effectively lose using EPPP, the, the Elite Player Performance Plan, and you give a little bit of compensation, and it, yeah, we're talking tens of thousands, then, then that's exempt from FFP. If you sign a player who is already on a full-time contract elsewhere, um, those costs are treated as normal costs. But again, you're picking up the player on a cheap basis. I, I suspect what Villa are doing is, is what many clubs in, in the Premier League are now doing. They've, you know, I'm, I'm not blowing smoke up my club's ass, but we, we've seen the success at Brighton and Brentford where they've deliberately targeted younger players they, they give them a couple of years and they sell them on for a bigger fee. Um, I think Villa are starting to use that. They, they've got an advantage for three years. You know, the sale of uh, Jack Grealish in 21-22 in has given them a bit of flexibility for three years um, because of the way that FFP works. And I think they're starting to use some of, of that, that money as an advantage. They've certainly invested huge sums into the transfer market. If you, if you take a look at uh, 20, 2019, 20, 156 million followed by 101, followed by 204. Yeah, they, they spent large amounts and now they're probably saying we, we need to take perhaps a slightly different model to, uh, to to go forwards further. Yeah. So how do you, how do Villa bridge commercial revenue, the gap? Um, it's so important for FFP, even like mid table teams in London have significantly more commercial revenue than Villa. You make Villa sexy. You make Villa attractive. You you make Villa um, a, a name that sponsors and commercial partners want to be associated with. And and the trouble you got is you can't do that overnight. You, you know, the London clubs have an advantage because many overseas owners um, like the idea of you know flying into London, you know, Gatwick or Heathrow, and going to watch a team or their team. Um, but if Villa are successful, and, and if you take a look at commercial income, uh, it, last last season, 21-22, it, it was the highest in the club's history. It is, you know, three times the amount or twice the amount where we were a decade ago. But there's still a big gap here. Yeah, £39 million Villa's commercial income. Manchester City are generating £300 million. Why are Manchester City generating £300 million? Well, first of all, they've got one or two connections in the Middle East. But secondly... They've got trophies. And when you talk to sponsors, when you talk to commercial organisations, they want to stick their product next to a trophy or next to a footballer 
that everybody wants to get their hands off. And yeah, in the case of City, they got Jack Grealish, they got Erling Haaland, they got Kevin De Bruyne. Can you match that in terms of what you can offer your commercial partners? So, I mean, Villa this season are going really well. Um, fourth in the league. Look like hopefully we're going to get Champions League football. So would that tie into like Champions League, like getting in that and sort of like being able to grow that way? Yeah, Ch Champions League is a is a real game changer. Um, you'll, you know, Villa are in Europe uh, this season, and it the the Europa Conference. It's great if you're a fan. You know, you're going to these different places. Um, you're not going to make any money realistically unless you get to the semi-finals. Now, by the time you've paid for your, tra your transport costs, your accommodation costs, player bonuses, um, you don't get very much money. In the conference champions league you're probably kicking off with a minimum of 30 million pounds in the bank and you make progress you get two and a half million pounds for a victory in the champions league whereas you That's get you know, a, a tenth of that in uh in the conference and you will have bonuses from sponsors but all of a sudden people are going that's aston villa i hold it and then you can say well yeah yeah that's not just aston villa it's aston villa former winners of the European Cup, and yeah, and I'm old enough to, to remember watching that match live when when the whole country wanted Villa to win, yeah, you know, with the exception of Blues, which is yeah, you know, <laughs> you'd be disappointed with that if you any of your Blues mates if they wanted you to win. Um, so I, I think the club can leverage off the back of that, but it will take a long time for that 39 million to become 60, to become 80, to become 100, because you don't have owners who have the same connections that Newcastle do, for example, in, in Saudi Arabia. So it's it's going to be tough, but qualify for Europe and you've got more matches, you've got more sellouts at Villa Park, you can charge more money to the, the hospitality, to the prawn sandwich munchers, and, and for all the criticism we level at them, you know, that they, they pay the big bucks when it comes to football. You, you spoke about making Villa sexy. Uh, Villa are in the process of rebranding having a new badge we've got 150 years sort of coming up this year as well do you think that this would have an impact on future revenue like if we if villa have a rebrand or not if, if i'm honest probably not because we have seen sort of what you might say relatively cosmetic changes historically um is, is it right that villa are moving to adidas from uh yeah a story um, again, you know, that potentially can happen, but I don't want to be rude to Villa. Um, Adidas look at their clubs and they say, well, we've got tier one clubs. So mm -hmm. in the case yeah. of uh, Adidas, it's Real Madrid, it's Manchester United. So you're going to be a tier two club. Um, you know, Newcastle are moving to uh, Adidas as well. So you're you're fighting for the affections of, of the manufacturers. It, it can make a little bit of a difference, but if I'm honest, you know, it, it, it's a bit like if, if uh, fairy liquid have got a new, you know, a new <laughs> logo, you, know, you either buy fairy liquid or you don't, it, it doesn't really make a, a lot of difference to the punters. Yeah, cool. Right. So something that hot topic of Villa fans anyway, uh, something that's happened this season is that we've had two concepts inside the stadium, one called Lower Grounds and one called the Terrace View. Both are classed as 
not corporate, but something like add-on bolt-ons that you can add on to your ticket, which you'll you pay a bit more. Um, you get like sometimes you, in lower grounds you get all-inclusive food, terrace view. You can get a seat or you can get a season ticket with it. So this comes on to like corporate revenue though. So, so uh, similarly with corporate revenue, Villa seem to be a long way behind London and clubs based in the northwest. How do Villa address this? Is the location of Villa Park an issue? Uh, it, it's not perfect, but you know, if, if you've been to Old Trafford, if you've been to the Etihad, they're not great locations. And I, I lived in Manchester for four years. So if, if you, I, I think it's, it's a sign that the club is, is thinking outside the box. Um, if you take a look at Villa's match day income, it was £16 million in the last set of accounts. Well, Manchester United have got 130. Spurs will probably have 120. Liverpool are going to be hitting 100 now that they've increased the capacity of Anfield to 61,000. So, so Villa have an awful lot of catching up to do. And provided it doesn't disenfranchise the, the Villa hardcore, you know, the people that have been going to the whole end since they were seven years old and will be there till the day they die. As long as you don't disenfranchise those people, then the two can live side by side. Um, if, if you take a look at what we're seeing, at, you know, when Spurs expanded their stadium, a lot of the tickets went to the corporates. But when you see how much of an impact that's had on Spurs finances, you know, Spurs were, gener were generating £35 million a year at, at the old White Hart Lane from ticket sales they'll probably be generating somewhere between 110 and 120. And that, that's not going to that's not going to be coming from you know, the lads and lasses who are hardcore Villa fans. So you, you've got to attract that alternative market. And I think that Villa are you know, acknowledging their existence with these with these opportunities and these these slightly different products. Yeah. Do you think it, it, it's it's necessary for Villa to, to go down that road? It's a horrible thing to say, but I think it is. Um, because otherwise, how do you compete? Or do you accept that you know we are Aston Villa and what we're going to do is that the the extent of our ambitions is that we're going to try to be top six, top seven. Um, and, you know, our aim is to get you know, conference Europa League, which which is still great fun. But but if we win we, and you've got the owners, you know, you, th you think about Wes and Naz, uh, you know, they're, they're billionaires in, the own, in their own right. Would they would they accept that? Um, you know, Villa are probably punching slightly above their weight at present, in my view, because they've got you know, probably the eighth highest wage bill, and they're you know they finished seventh last season, fourth at the present. Yeah, they're, they're doing all right. Is, is is that enough for you? For me, yeah. Um, I I, I want to see Villa absolutely massive and competing with you know the big boys and 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 sit around that that big table of like the top four and stuff so um when i look at like the terrace view and, and the lower grounds as a fan i, I realize that it's that it's needed because that's how i can see villa closing that gap you know that that graphic you put on your twitter feed i think a couple of weeks ago and it showed villas like match day compared to everybody else you know yeah. we, we we're lagging so far behind and something's got to give you know we, yeah. we, something's got to give for us to 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 close that gap so um i, 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 I think, think it, it's an evil know, it's, but it's 
it's a necessary yeah. evil to a certain extent. Yeah, and and I think as a as a you know as a, a a proud Villa fan and and somebody that absolutely loves the club and you know you can look at history and you look can look at heritage. So I think sometimes key decisions, you know, those decisions have got to be made, and if it's for the good of Villa, I think sometimes you've got to just think, you know what, we we've got to just do it. Unfortunately. Um, so my last question, I've got two more actually. So the last but one then. Um, so Aston Villa were going to have a new North stand. We were going to knock the North stand down, rebuild it, have a new club shop in there, more corporate. Chris Hex come in and said that, you know, we're not selling 200 seats and that's the reason why it's not going to happen. It's going to take a long time. It's going to take about two years. And if we get Champions League football, we don't want a sort of like a three-quarter full stadium. What are your thoughts on this, of us not sort of just biting the bullet, doing it for the future rather than the now? It feels to some Villa fans that it's a very short-sighted decision not to do it. I, I'm, I must confess I'm broadly in agreement with them because... It does seem short-sighted. If if you take a look to see what Spurs did, you know, they, they had two years at Wembley, but they have tripled the money that's being generated from ticket sales. They've got Beyonce there for seven nights. They've got the NFL. They've got Anthony Joshua, whoever it is, you know, fighting. Um, and it, it has transformed the club. And if we're honest, if, if you've got the eighth biggest budget, you're going to finish on average eighth. Now, by not expanding the stadium, how are you going to go from eighth to seventh to sixth to fifth and so on? Because, yeah, again, history and heritage. I, I first went to Villa in 8081, and it, it's not changed much since then. You know, I'm, and I don't have an issue with that. But when I put my finance hat on, I'm going, well, <laughs> how, how, how are we going to generate more money out of this? Um, so, it is that that conflict. Um, it, it does. I, I can't understand because by not doing it, you are effectively saying to Spurs, "We're going to give you a minimum of an extra two years of having mm -hmm. that eighty or ninety million pound financial advantage over Villa." And if it then becomes three or four years, you know, we're talking, you know, three hundred million pounds, four hundred million pounds of of a benefit. That, that's an awful lot of catching up you're going to have to do um, should the the ground eventually be expanded. You know, my view as an outsider, you you know Villa far better than I do, of course, Luke. You know, Villa can sell out 50,000 a week. Mm -hmm. Newcastle can do 60,000. Villa can do 50,000. Um, and you've you've got to grow to stand still otherwise the gap between villa and mm -hmm. newcastle you know what happens if leeds go up to 50,000 because then they've got relatively owners they're talking about it um the longer you leave it the bigger the gap becomes yeah so finally then how would you summarize on on how aston villa are doing how they are and what would you say the general consensus with our finances are? So do you think that sort of we're okay? And in the summer, would we be able to, to spend a decent amount of money? I think Villa have to be a little bit cautious. I mean, they've sold some uh, academy players and got decent profits from those, which have been beneficial. 
this is the last year that the benefit of the, the Jack Grealish sale goes into the equation. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the summer because I think we're going to new, move to a new FFP variant where Villa will be allowed to spend a proportion of their, their money generated on wages. Well, if if Villa have got you know, £18 million of uh, ticket sales, 70% of 18 is what, you know, about £14 million. Manchester United have got... 130 million worth of, of match day ticket sales. 70% of that is, is a big number. So can you see by, by not moving forwards in terms of the expansion of the club's revenue base, it does mean that the, the wage gap and the player investment gap is going to continue to grow. So will the club have a bit of flexibility? Yes, they will. Um can they spend the two hundred million pounds that they spent in twenty one twenty two? I don't think so. Cool. On that bombshell, then that is it from us today. So, Kieran, it's been great chatting to you. Great insight, and uh, you've answered my questions perfectly. So, uh, thank you for coming on, Kieran. Thanks for the invite, Luke, and uh, all the best to the Villa for the rest of the season.